But tonight we're going to cover a few psalms, uh, 61 through 63, and uh, they're psalms basically, I mean, kind of like at the end of the day, they're, they're uh, prayers for protection and direction. Uh, they're prayers uh, basically to help us, Lord, help us win this war and, uh, and the battles along the way. You know, uh, some of you guys, uh, you're right in the middle of trials. You know, um, you're right in the middle of it. Things are going on maybe emotionally or physically or financially, relationally, spiritually. You know, there's some heavy things going on in your life. You're in the fire, man, but you're not alone because the Lord is with you, right? But for most of us here, the, a lot of those things are ahead. You know, and I know for me, I, I feel like, Kind of like I go through this with a lot of the people in the church, and, and it, it, it is hard. But in one sense, I know that for me personally, uh, eventually I'm going to get hit hard with these things as well. I'm going to go through things, you know. I'm going to hear those words from the doctor or something, you know, God forbid. But, you know, you just never know what's going to happen to my kids or, or just, uh, you know, my friends. And, and so we got to be ready, you know, for those days it's kind of like the enemy is going to hit us hard to try to knock us out, to knock us out of the battle. And so we have to be, by the grace of God, rooted in his word so that when those things come our way, we might get knocked down, but we won't get knocked out. As a matter of fact, one of the things that I found as a Christian is that when you go through the fire, and, and I know it's hard, you wouldn't wish it on anybody, but you can actually come out stronger in the process you can actually come out closer to christ in the process and and then another thing that thing is so amazing is that david as he's going through these crazy trials is writing chapters of the bible think about that as you're going through the trials god is doing something amazing and so Psalm 61, we're not really sure as far as the background goes. We do know according to verse 6 that it's a time when David was the king. And so as he's there, we know that he's somewhere in danger, in jeopardy. And so a lot of commentators believe that it's probably more than likely the time of Absalom's rebellion. And so he's king and his son comes against him to try to take the kingdom away from him. And so more than likely, that's the background, and you can read about it in 2 Samuel 15 through 18. And so we read in verse 1, it says, To the chief musician on a stringed instrument, a psalm of David. Hear my cry, O God. Attend to my prayer. From the end of the earth, I will cry to you. When my heart is overwhelmed, Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. And so David here is crying and he's kind of like asking God, please listen to me. It's not like your casual daily devotion. Um, David here is crying out for God not only to, to hear him, but notice what he says right there, attend to my prayer. Attend to my prayer. What does that mean? Uh, the word attend, I think of the word attention. I even think of the word attendance. And so it's kind of like David is crying out, not a casual daily devotional prayer, so to speak. I mean, this guy is, is desperate, he's in danger, and he's crying out for God to attend to his prayer 
not only hear it, but Lord, be here. Lord, I need your, your, your attendance in my life right now. It's a heavy situation he's going through. You know, he, he feels, uh, it, it says right here, it's from the ends of the earth. And so that means that he feels far away. You know, I, I don't really know for sure if it's just a geography thing. You know, maybe he's, uh, uh, you know, we know that he's running away from Jerusalem. He's away from home. He, he's away from the tabernacle. And, and he's crying out from there, probably on the run from Absalom. But, but here he is. Uh, and it might even be, it might be, because sometimes we feel far from God. You know, I, I don't know if you guys ever go through that. I think that David went through that. Even though he was a man after God's own heart, even though he was anointed by the Lord, man, you know, sometimes we just don't feel as close as we want to be. And so here's David, Lord, attend to my prayer. Lord, I'm crying, you know, way over here from the ends of the earth. And, and, he, and he says right here, I just love this. I know some of you guys probably know the song, When My Heart Is Overwhelmed. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. And so in the, in the dangerous situation, he's praying. And, and you know, I, I remember reading, I think it was on Facebook or, or something, you know, um, that, have you guys ever seen that, that saying? It says that God can heal your broken heart. You just have to give him all the pieces. You guys have heard that before, right? And that's what you got to do. You know, our hearts get broken. We get disappointed. I mean, big time. Things happen that, man, we wish would have never happened or we would have never, ever thought that that could happen, but they do. And, and so, you know, David here tells us what to do when we're in that situation. And I, and I think it, we've seen it over and over again. Uh, it doesn't take a rocket scientist. You don't have to have a degree from a theological seminary to know that what you do when you go through these hard times is you get on your face. You know, you just pray. And that's what David is doing. Lord, when my heart is overwhelmed, here's my prayer. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. You know, it's like you put on the GPS and sometimes we don't know how to get there. How many of you guys ever are, are navigationally challenged? Any of you guys like me? I mean, I could have been there before, and I still don't know how to get there. I'm like, how do you do it? Shelly, help me out, you know? It's, I need her help. But, you know, um, here's David here praying for that, 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 that guidance from God. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Lead me to the towering rock of safety. Lord, lead me to a place where I cannot be reached by my enemies. To an unreachable rocky summit, you know? And... And that's probably, you know, maybe some truth physically, but I don't think it's just geography. I don't think it's geology. I think it's theology, right? I don't think it's a place. I think it's a person. Lord, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. And of course, I think you guys know as Christians, if you don't, you should know that the rock is none other than Jesus Christ, right? I don't know where this wrestler guy, actor guy, got the name The Rock. What's his name? Dwayne Johnson or something like that. And I was reading about it. I'm like, why did he get the name? And, you know, they sh- that's just wrong. They should, you know, somehow make that illegal, you know. I mean, for us, um, The Rock is Christ. You know, you read in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 4, and that rock was, was Christ. And you read through the whole 
you know, journey through the wilderness. And you guys remember when they were there in the wilderness and they didn't have any water. And so God said, this is what I want you to do, Moses. I want you to take that rod and I want you to smite that rock. And when you smite it, when you beat it, then water will come out. When they, they didn't have any water. They were ready to die. And what that is is a picture of Jesus who was smitten for us. He was nailed to a cross for us. He died for us. And that's the rock. And, you know, you smite it and then, and then you live. That's what Jesus did for us, you know. And so, you know, you continue to go through the story there in the Old Testament as they're wandering through the wilderness a place they would have never survived without that rock. And then later on, when they needed water, you know, the Lord said, what I want you to do is I want you to speak to the rock. Moses, unfortunately, got upset. He didn't speak to it. He smote it again. He's not supposed to do that. Uh, but what God wanted to do in that symbol, and that symbolic gesture, is now tell us that Jesus not only gives us the, the water to live by, but he gives us a living water of the Holy Spirit. And that's the rock that we need to go to. You know, if you're here today and you're not a Christian, you know, I'm not talking about you grew up in church. I'm talking about whether or not if you were to die today, you'd go to heaven. I'm talking about having a personal relationship with God. You know, if you're here today, you need the rock. You need Jesus Christ. You're not going to make it without him. You know, these hard times we're living in. One day we're going to stand before God and we're going to have to give an account. And you might want to stand on your own behavior. Maybe you think you're a good person, but you're not good enough. None of us are. That's why Jesus was smitten. That's why he died on that cross. And so if you're here hurting, struggling, empty, addicted to drugs, we were talking about that earlier. You know, the crystal meth out there today is insane. You know, the alcohol, the pornography. I mean, if a guy doesn't really love the Lord, I mean, he's probably addicted to pornography. They say about 70% of men, 17 and up, are engaged in, 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 in regular pornography. That's all men. And so imagine, you know, if you're not a Christian. And so all I'm saying is that if you're here today and you don't know the Lord Understand, he loves you. And he brought you here tonight because he wants to lead you to the rock. He wants to lead you to Jesus. But even if you are a Christian and you are struggling and your heart is overwhelmed, it's the same prayer and it's the same person. Lord, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Lord, I, I need you. I need you in my life. I need you to give me wisdom. I need you to give me strength. I hate sin. And it seems to get me over and over again. Maybe you are struggling at your house. Because, you know, a lot of times it's easy to do it at church. Because everybody's watching. And we know how to go through the motions and put on a show. But then when you go home, you're a different person. You know, don't accept that. Hate sin. Because sin separates us from God. Sin hinders the work of the Holy Spirit. You know, and then that, and that, I remember my pastor, Pastor Raul, he would always tell me, you know, when there's sin in your life, you're not going to have joy. You know, and, and so, Lord, I'm struggling. Lord, there's no joy. Lord, I need you. And so, Lord, lead me. 
lead me. I don't know how to get there. Somehow I lost my way. Lord, lead me to Jesus. And then I think that's what this psalm is all about. You know, the rock is not a place, really. It's a person, which kind of flows perfectly into the next passage right here. Notice he says in verse 3, For you, you have been a shelter for me, a strong tower from the enemy. I will abide in your tabernacle forever. I will trust in the shelter of your wings, Salah. You know, and, and it's cool how David says you have been. He looks to the past, right? Uh, these guys, I think all along the way, the, the demons are trying to, to take you out, take them, take you away from the Lord. And David said, I'm not, but I'm still following you. You know, looking back on the way that God had always protected him in the past, it basically propelled him with confidence for the future. And, you know, I know we've talked about this a lot, um, how God's faithfulness in the past should fuel our faith in him for the future. You know, and and I'll share this with you guys. Um, Sometimes you see some young Christians, man, they're so strong. I mean, for whatever reason, they just catch it, man, and they're... And they just accelerate, you know. um, But if you have been walking with the Lord for many years, you should be strong. You should be stronger. You want to know why? Part of it has to do with the fact that he has shown you his faithfulness all all those years. I mean, do you remember what he's done for you? Because in the Old Testament, whenever God did a miracle, they would make an altar, let me ask you a question as, as Christians. Can you, can you remember the miracles that God has done? They say if you're going to have hope for the future, then you need to have a good memory of the past. And I encourage you, write a book, write a journal. Who knows, maybe you'll make a million dollars. You never know, you might sell it, man. You know, I think Christians need to start writing and pr- just telling people about all the miracles. I was talking to this guy, homeless guy, I was at the laundromat the other day, and I was telling him, the full-on, bona fide, undeniable miracles that God has done in my life. And you know, he was just like, whoa, you know, and it, it, that's what we should be doing because when we remember those miracles, unexplainable, undoubtedly, God reached into our human place and did something that's totally Him, then it just gives us confidence for the future. And that's what David is saying right here, you know? I mean, when we go through things, I think God expects us to pray as David is praying, but he also expects us to pray in light of his proven track record. You know, we should learn lessons throughout life of God's love and faithfulness. And and let's not miss that. You know, I wanted to turn to a couple of passages that kind of talk a little bit about this. The first is in Mark chapter 4. If you guys would, turn to verse 35. Mark chapter 4, in verse 35, it says, "On On the same day when evening had come, he, speaking of Jesus, he said to them, let us cross over to the other side. Now, when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was, and other little boats were also with him. And a great windstorm arose and waves beat into the boat so that it was filling, already filling. But he was in the stern asleep on a pillow. 
And they awoke him and they said to him, notice what they said, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Then he arose, he yawned, no, I'm joking, he rose, he rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. But he said to them, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? You know, and, and by now, he's basically expecting so much more from them. I mean, after all the things he'd done, I mean, you guys know what Jesus did. He healed the, the blind man, the lame man, the, you know, the leper. He, the guys were dead. You know, there was a funeral going by, and there's this guy's dead. He goes and he raises him from the dead. I mean, I mean, the Lord had done so much. He fed, you know, 15,000 people tonight. You guys are going to get blessed. We're going to feed whatever, you know, 75 people. <laughs> but, you know, he was, with six loaves and, you know, a couple of fish or whatever. I mean, and so, you know, you're going across the sea. Jesus is in the boat. Yeah, he's sleeping. But what in the world are you afraid of? Jesus is in the boat. And Jesus said, let us go to the other side. So what I think, and I think I shared this with you guys before, is that, you know, they should have just said, Lord, you know, I know you're tired right now, but just want to let you know there's a storm going on. So, Lord, can you take care of this for me? (laughs) Rather than freaking out, rather than saying, Master, don't you care? We're perishing, we're sinking, we're done. I think the Lord expects more of us. You know, here David is saying, Lord, I've seen what you've done in the past. And so I'm confident about the future. You know, there's another time in the book of Mark chapter 8. I wanted you guys to turn there if you would. In Mark chapter 8, in in verse 15, and says, Then he charged them, saying, Take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, Is it because we have no bread? But Jesus, being aware of it, he said to them, Why do you reason because you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive nor understand? Is your heart still hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of fragments did you take up? And they said to him, 12. Also, when I broke the seven for the 4,000, how many large baskets full of fragments did you take up? And they said, seven. So he said to them, how is it that you do not understand? You know, he's talking about the leaven of the, the religious leaders, and in that case, it was the leaven of their, their, their teaching. Beware of these guys, right? Because they were putting burdens on the people that they shouldn't have. You know, but they thought, when you think of leaven, they thought, oh, he's talking about the, the bread. We, we, we don't have enough bread. And they start, they, they start you know, questioning that. The Lord's going there. And the Lord's just like, he's really rebuking them here heavy, huh? Did you guys notice that? I mean, why do you reason like this? Don't you 
have any perception? Don't you have any understanding? Is your heart still hard? Don't you know I will always provide for you? I will always provide for you. That, you shouldn't even go there anymore. I will always, I mean, look at what happened. Not only will I provide for you, but when he fed them, remember the fish tacos? How many? They were just like full. They were gluttoned, is the Greek word. And then they had baskets left over. And so all, all I'm saying is that we should learn our lessons. Faith is like a muscle that should grow stronger. That should be us. And imagine how different we'll be if we take these things to heart. You know, for the most part, David is a good example of a man who learned the lessons along the way. If you remember how it all began back in 1 Samuel chapter 17, uh, there was the Philistine giant, you know, and he's, you know, defying the armies of the living God. And so David comes, remember, to bring pizza to the soldiers, remember, cheese and bread. And, uh, and he's like, who is this guy? What is this guy talking smack about my God? And so he's, I'll take him down. I'll take him down. And you're like, they're like, you're just a little kid. How can you take him down? And so they're like, they took him to Saul because no one else wanted to fight. They were all shaking in their boots for 40 days. Nobody stepped up. And so David goes before Saul and he says, Saul, I can kill him. You want to know how I know I can kill him? Because I was watching over the sheep and there was a bear that tried to take the sheep and, I, and, and I, I didn't kill it. The Lord helped me kill the bear. And then there was a lion and the Lord helped me kill the lion. It wasn't me. It wasn't because I'm a good soldier. It wasn't because I'm good at the slingshot or whatever that is. It was the Lord. It was the Lord. It was clearly the Lord. And so, Saul, I know, no shadow of a doubt in my mind, the Lord will be with me to kill this guy right here. And that's how we go forward. You see? And, and that's what David is saying here. Lord, I've seen what you've done in the past, and therefore I know what's going to happen in the present, and, and I know what's going to happen in the future. And so back in, in, in Psalms, David then prays for, and at the same time he's confident in God's deliverance. In verse 5 he says, For you, O God, have heard my vows. You have given me the heritage of those who fear your name. You will prolong the king's life, his years as many generations. He shall abide before God forever. You know, the word heritage right there, you have given me the heritage. Um, most teachers believe that that's in reference to his uh, mission in life, the fact that God would one day make him the king. And, and he held on to that. You know, it's so cool when you look at his reward for being faithful and waiting on the Lord in the days of preparation. But, but it's also cool the way it says right here, you have given me the heritage of those who fear your name. You know, just real quick, I, I hope and pray that we all have a good fear of God. You know, um, the, the Lord said, don't, ki- don't fear those who can kill your body. Uh, kill, fear those who can kill the soul and, and cast them into hell, you know. That, that's a good place to f- start the fear. I've told you guys before about my friend who got saved because he was afraid of going to hell. 
Uh, I know people, I could point out people that come to this church that got saved because they were afraid of going to hell. And some people are like, well, that's a bad motive. No, I think it's a good motive. <laughs> if you die in your sins, you're going to go to hell. It's a, it's a good fear to have because none of us are, are good enough to go to heaven on our own righteousness. But even as a Christian, you know, we should fear God. We really should. Um, the, the, the sin separates us from God. The sin holds back his hand from the blessing that he wants to give. And so we should fear God. We should hate sin. We should fear sin. David here is saying, I got this whole mission in life to be king because I was able to join a group of people that really did fear the Lord. You know, we got to make sure that we don't water that down. It's not just a reverence for God. It's a healthy fear of his loving discipline. If I sin, you know, presumptuously, flippantly, if I take it lightly, then God is going to deal with me. And so David here is, is trusting God. And notice next in verse 7, he says, Oh, prepare mercy and truth, which may preserve him. So I will sing praise to your name for how long? Forever, that I may daily perform my vows. You know, and we know the end of that story when David was on the run from Absalom, how he lives um, because of God's preservation, right? In this case, the preservation, notice it says there, are God's mercy and truth. Mercy and truth. Now, that's an interesting combination because um, when you think of the whole story of Absalom, and I I don't have time to, to give you the whole story, but if you think about Absalom, Ahithophel was upset with David because of what David did to Bathsheba and Uriah. And, uh, and Absalom was upset with David because of what David did to Tamar, his sister. And so David did some things wrong. I mean, none of us are perfect. I mean, there's no one here who can say, well, I'm going through the situation I'm going with, and I did nothing wrong. You know, the, the truth is, with David, it was a combination of mercy and truth. It was a combination of truth in the sense that now he's blameless in, in one sense because he's repented, but it's a combination of mercy as well because at the same time, he's not perfect. And I don't know about you, but I know from my life, I always thank God for his mercy every day because... Um, I still fall short. I do. You know, I'm trying to do the right thing. I'm trying to be sincere. But man, sometimes, you know, we fall short. And so in one sense, when you put those two together, an earnest man, um, uh, but, but, uh, but uh, an imperfect man, it ends up becoming a combination of mercy and truth. And so we sing, thank you, Lord. <laughs> for being rich in mercy. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4. So then Psalm 62. Again, not sure about the background. Uh, we do know that David is being attacked and it sounds like someone's trying to take his position of leadership. We'll see that in verse 4. And so in this case, David is just waiting silently. He's not really saying anything to anyone other than God. And he just, you know, prays like we see and praises God and knows that all these things belong 
to God. And so we read in verse 1, it says, To the chief musician, to Jeduthun, uh, a psalm of David, Truly my soul silently waits for God. Now this guy, Jeduthun, he's a, he's a leader in one of the choirs, and so that's what that's all about. As far as a perpetual uh, generation of choir members, David's writing it to him, to his descendants, and all that tells us is that it's a significant psalm. And so it's a special psalm. And so uh, David here in verse 1, he says, I'm not lying, I'm not exaggerating. Truly, my soul silently waits for God. You know, and you guys, uh, there will be those times when we see, you know, something stirring up maybe, and, and rather than you know, speaking up to men, we just kind of look up to God and we're real, uh, I don't know if passive is the right word, but our soul is just silently waiting for God to, to be the one to protect and direct. We'll see it again in verse 5, how his soul is silently waiting. And so that tells us that that's probably the emphasis of the psalm. And, and more than likely, like I said earlier, this is something that was stirring up within the kingdom Maybe Absalom again, but someone wants to take his position. You know, someone wants to, to be king. Um, and you guys read through the, the, the Jewish history, you guys will see that that happened a lot. Especially in the northern kingdom of Israel. You guys read through the history of first kings, second kings, and you're going to see it happen all the time. You know, where the king was king and then someone came and killed him and then that guy became king and then his cousin killed him and then that guy became king. And so it was a very common practice back in, in the world. And we see it every once in a while in the church. Uh, I remember Pastor Raul telling a story about one of the pastors who uh, was, uh, he was uh, doing some missions work. He was uh, away from the church for a week and a half. And by the time he got back, someone else had taken over the church, you know. And so um, things like that happen, even in churches. Um, and it doesn't even have to be the senior pastor. It could be someone who's overseeing a ministry. And they're like, oh, this is my ministry, and I'm going to protect it. No one's going to take my position, or, or whatever it might be. I mean, it happens in life. And it could be in your job. I mean, you name it. And so the, the thing that, that is so cool to know is that you know, number one, we don't have to jockey for position. If God wants you there, he's going to put you there and no one will stop you. No one stop that you from being there. But number two, we don't have to be insecure about our position. If God doesn't want us here, there's nothing that we can do to keep ourselves there. He's the one, Psalm 75, 6 and 7, he, he exalts and, and he demotes. And it doesn't come from the east or the west or the south. It comes from the north. And so this whole psalm is kind of about that. Right, and, and so David is facing this situation, this mutiny. In, in verse 1, it says, From him comes my salvation. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be greatly moved. And so he's emphasizing it's the Lord, right? My protector, my fortress, my refuge. You know, he's not greatly moved. He knows he's not going to be greatly moved. He has his place of leadership, and he's secure in that. And he makes a public declaration in verse 3. And he says, How long will you attack, O man? 
You shall be slain, all of you, like a leaning wall and a tottering fence. They only consult to cast him down from his high position. They delight in lies. They bless with their mouth, but they curse inwardly. And so he asked the question, how long will you guys assault me? Will you threaten me? Uh, really, you know, when God looks at it, when we see it from his perspective, you're like a wall that's just about to fall down, right? No defenses whatsoever. I mean, it's, again, probably thinking of Ahithophel or Absalom. They're asking questions. Oh, Mr. King, Mr. King, can I ask you a question? And it's not that they're inquisitive. It's that they're divisive, and they want his spot. You know, and these guys right here, they not, they not only lie, it says right here in verse 4, they delight in lies. And so you guys see this frequently throughout church history. You know, and I pray that God would purge us from this. It, it's an ugly thing to have that carnal heart to want to be the greatest. You know, um, but even the apostles struggled with that. I, I was thinking about that passage in, in Mark chapter 9. Let's turn there real quick, if you would. To Mark chapter 9. Look at what we read in verse 33. It says, And he came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, what was it you disputed among yourselves on the road? But they kept silent. For on the road they had disputed among themselves who would be the greatest. So imagine that. You know, you, you get in the house. Hey, Jesus, hey, what were you guys talking about? I heard you guys kind of having a little debate, an argument. And like nobody said anything. <laughs> and the reason they didn't say anything because they were arguing about who would be the greatest. Right, and so if that's if you have that feeling, you know, there's still hope for you, because uh, the, the apostles were like that. But the Lord definitely wants to take that out. It says, and he sat down in verse 35 and called the twelve, and he said to them, "If anyone desires to be first, he shall be last of all and servant of all." And then he took a little child and set him in the midst of them. And when he had taken him in his arms, he said to them, "Whoever receives one of these little children in my name." receives me, and whoever receives me, receives not me, but him who sent me. And I, and I love this because we can even relate to this in the church. Some might say, well, I want to be the pastor. You know, I want to be the one teaching the adults. And, you know, if God's called you to do that, praise God. You know, I mean, it's not as easy as you might think. There's a lot of battles that that, that, that entails. You know, it's hard sometimes just to show up, but you do it by faith. But Jesus here seems to say, but the ones who are really great are in the children's ministry. <laughs> That's what he's saying here. You really want to be great? You know, you don't have to be the one standing up in front of all the adults. Tell you what, just take one of these little children and you give them a cup of cold water in my name. And I tell you what, that's, that's the fr those are the ones that are going to get big rewards in heaven, you know? Because they, they weren't in it. I mean, there, wasn't a, there was no glory in it. You know, I love when I first started in the ministry, I loved teaching in the convalescent home. You know, I was there for two years. My wife and I would go lead worship 
And it was just beautiful. And these are people, no one would go visit. We'd go gather them together and we'd do a little Bible study. And you guys know how good I am on the guitar, right? Just joking, I'm not. <laughs> but you know what? It was beautiful. And then two years in Laurel Park and they were there doing a ministry for people who had uh, nervous breakdowns. And no one else wanted to be there, but, you know, there was an opportunity for us to go and to share there, you know. And so it was never something that ever I said, oh, I'm going to do that or I'm going to. No, it's just one thing led to another and the Lord is the one who opened the doors. All I'm saying is that it should never be present in us, you know, to want to, you know, be the greatest like that. Um, and one of the, the sad things about the apostles is later on, if, if you read in the, um, the Last Supper, Jesus does this. Jesus tells them, I'm going to die. You know, and this bread is symbolic of my body, and this wine is symbolic of my blood. And you know, when you read Luke, it's interesting to me, in Luke 22, 14 through 24, we don't have time to turn there. In the middle of that, they were still fighting on who was going to be the greatest. Imagine that. And so it wasn't until they were filled with the Holy Spirit that the Lord took that away from them. Hey, you know, can I vacuum? Can I scrub toilets? You know, can I, uh, you know, do the menial tasks? That's, that's what God wants to see. You know, that's what was going on in the kingdom where David was. Guys were trying to take his position and so I think for us, there's two lessons to learn. Number one, don't be one of those type of people. And number two, if someone's trying to whatever, take your position. <laughs> you don't have to worry. You don't have to be afraid because the Lord protects them. I've always loved that passage in Jeremiah 45 and verse 5. It says, and do you seek great things for yourself? Do not seek them. And so David was here in the middle of these guys that were trying to you know, create mutiny. In verse 5, he's just giving it to God. He says, My soul, wait silently for God alone, for my expectation is from Him. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be moved. In God is my salvation and my glory. The rock of my strength and my refuge is in God. And you guys know this, huh? If you read your Bible, you know this. David did not lift a finger to become king. You guys know that, huh? I mean, homeboy could have socked him. and I mean, he could have done so much, but he didn't lift a finger to become king, and he didn't have to lift a finger, really, to protect himself. When Absalom came against him, you know, he went, he prayed, and the Lord took care of it. Right here, he's just saying, my soul, it silently waits for God alone. There are those times we don't do anything. We don't. We just give it to God. We wait silently, calmly, knowing that God is our defender and protector. And the Lord will show you, you know, when. When you're not supposed to do anything. Psalm 46.10 says, Be still and know that I am God. Second Chronicles 20 and verse 17, it says, You will not need to fight in this battle. Position yourselves, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord. Have you guys ever heard uh, Pastor Chuck, he would always say, don't defend yourself. You know, someone comes and they're, they're saying smack and what do you want to do? You want to get right back in the middle of that whole, you know, you know, back and forth. Don't defend yourself. 
Let the Lord defend you. And so there are those times where you just, you know, you don't say anything. I love verse 8. It says, trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us, Selah. And so, you know, right here, David now is, is applying it to everyone. He said, I know, you know, you know November 1st, 2018, there's going to be a, a group of people over there in Almani. I need to tell them something, you know. <laughs> you people, trust in the Lord. Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your heart before him. You know, maybe you're here and you're thinking, no, but, but my situation is unique. Manny, you don't know what I'm going through. I think God understands why I don't completely trust him right now. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm a little afraid. I'm shaking in my boots. I'm stressed and depressed and anxious. It's a lot different than David's situation. You've got to understand what I'm going through. And, and, and David just says, no, sorry, um, that's a lame excuse. He says, trust in him at all times. At all times. And well, how do you do it? I, I think he says right here, this, this is what we do. In verse 8, we pour out our heart before him. That's what we do. You know? I mean, I, I pray if you're here and you're going against God's word, you would know that there is no hope. God will not honor that. You're heading straight for disaster. We got to do things God's way. But as you're here, when we're going through, you know, life, you know, and, and you know, it's a hard thing that we're facing. God says, don't, don't, you know, give him a piece of your mind. Don't, you know, just, you know, shoot out with the lips. No, pour your heart out before him. Don't give the Lord anything other than your heart. Can I ask you a question? You know, because every morning is kind of cool. I make my wife a little drink and, you know, we're getting in shape and stuff. And so we pour it out. You know, we pour it out. Have you poured out your heart to God? If not, I really encourage you to do that. I, I'm even wondering if I have. As I was reading this verse right here, I'm like, Lord, have I really done this? I mean, this is a type of prayer that it, like, and that kind of we started with it. It's not a casual daily devotion, typical thing that you see frequently. To really pour out your heart before the Lord. That's what Hannah did. It talks about her pouring out her soul before the Lord. And God did something great. You know, when you, when you read Isaiah 26, you guys can do this later in 12 through 16, you're going to see that that was the key to victory for Israel. You know, they were struggling, 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 struggling until finally the day says, and we read it right there, he says, you know what, um, now things are going bad and, and, and they pour out their heart to God and then he does something amazing, something good. You know, I mean, what, what he's trying to say here is do things the supernatural way. Don't do things the natural way. Look to God. Don't look to men. Don't do things that men would do in your situation. Ask God for guidance. He'll show you something different. For Hannah, it ended up being her pouring out her soul to God, and then she gave her son 
you know, to God. I mean, that's very different than anything we would do. We would never think of that. And it's not like I had a good idea. Well, this is what I should do. You know, no, this is just out of the box. This is what God wants you to do. That's what happens when you pour out your soul. Not things like what men would do, but something so, it's a God thing, you know? I mean, verse 9 is interesting. He says, surely men of low degree are a vapor, Men of high degree are a lie. If they are weighed on the scales, they are altogether lighter than vapor. Do not trust in oppression, nor vainly hope in robbery. If riches increase, do not set your heart on them. And basically what he's saying right here is don't trust in men. Don't trust in money. Uh, they're, they're, they're not what you need. Uh, men of low degree are, are vapor. Men of high degree or a lie, if you put them together, they're even less than vapor. That's what he says right here. You know, this is the way of, of men. Verse 10 sounds like, you know, like the mafia's on your side, you know, or you got the lobbyists, lots of money. You know, men, manipulation, pulling strings, making things happen. Is that how we're going to do this? No. In verse 10, verse 11, God has spoken once, Twice I have heard this, that power belongs to God. Isn't that awesome? Also to you, O Lord, belongs mercy, for you render to each one according to his work. And so David here um, is confirmed once, not just once, but twice. It's a Hebrew way of saying many times. God has shown me this many times in my life, that God has all the power. Power belongs to him, and we can rest in that. You know, God puts people like David in places of power and influence, and God has the power to keep them there, remove them in the twinkling of an eye. It's all up to him. Some people say, well, doesn't the Bible say that Satan puts people... Yeah, you know what? He does to a certain extent. He rules, but God overrules. God will intervene in time according to his sovereign purposes. So ultimately, God is the one who puts people in power. Why? Because he has all power. And so, you know, if you look at this right here, he closes with the fact that God will render to each one according to his work. Warren Wiersbe said, no matter what people may say about us or do to us, God keeps the books and one day will give sinners and saints the rewards that they deserve. And we see the same thing in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 8. And I won't torture you guys and go into the next chapter because we are getting hungry. <laughs> but I do pray, because the next chapter talks about being hungry for God, <laughs> that we're, I think we're all going to fast tonight. No, I'm just joking. We won't do that. Um, that. That we would hunger and thirst after the Lord, you guys. Um, I don't know what you're going to face in the future, but I do know that we live in a broken world, man. And we're going to go through hard times. I pray that when we do, we remember the things that we learned tonight and that we would, and then basically kind of what I'm learning uh, is just to really trust the Lord through prayer and praise. Just make sure we get on our knees and let's do our best to pour out our heart to Him. If you're here today and you're struggling in your relationship with God, you know, it's not a 12-step thing, you know. You take one step towards him, and he'll do the rest. But you've got to give him your heart. The Bible talks about the fact that he is knocking. 
He's knocking on the door. But when you, when you read Revelation 3, verse 20, the, the, the doorknob is on the inside. There's no doorknob on the outside. God's not going to open up the door. He's not going to kick it down. You have to open it up. And, and as we do, then God will come in and we'll fellowship together and we'll break bread and, and we'll get everything we need. You know, if you're here tonight and your relationship with God is, you know, I don't know, not like this passionate, you know, fire inside of you, then I want to tell you that you're backslidden. You're backslidden. And if you want to, we could sing a song and we can go eat and you can go home. But you're backslidden. Just know who you are. You're backslidden. I love you guys, and I'm telling you that not to beat you up, because I know some of you here, you're, you're, you're in step with the Spirit. But, but if you're not, I pray you wouldn't settle for that. You know, you've got to get in your face. You've got to get in the book. You've got to ask God to speak to you and light a fire. And maybe you're here, and you're like, I don't know how to do it. Just ask Him. And you watch what He does. Because that's what we want, huh? You guys want that, right? Just think if we all caught fire, man, <laughs> how awesome it would be, you know? And then he sends you out, and then next thing you know, the whole city of Almani's on fire, you know? <laughs> In a good way. That's my prayer. <laughs>